Welcome to Learning with Lisa, Student Success Beyond Expectations podcast with Lisa Navarra, award-winning educator, consultant, behavior specialist, author, and parent. This podcast provides support for school leaders, educators, and parents. We share and discuss evidence-based resources that are embedded in social and emotional learning to meet the needs of students who struggle focusing and learning. Teachers and parents find information and strategies to improve students' academic, behavioral, and social-emotional performance. It's time to turn kids from I can't into I can. Welcome to Student Success Beyond Expectations. Deaf kids can, did you know? Are you paying attention to that community of children and adults who also need access, access to education, access to resources, access to be successful in the workplace? In my opinion, and if you've listened to some of my prior podcasts, then you're going to kind of know what I'm saying. And that is that I think we could be doing more for this community. We should be learning sign language. We should be learning what it is that they need instead of them always coming out toward us. Because that's really how I feel. I feel like it's okay. This is the hearing world. And this is what I need to be able to be successful in it. But what about the hearing world reaching out to the world that can't hear? And that's why I bring a very special guest with me today, Mickey. And Mickey has the book series, Deaf Kids Can, and you need to see it. You need to get them. You need to raise the awareness of your hearing children and for those, whether they have hearing impairments or whether or not they are legally deaf, because it's going to make them feel welcomed, understood. And whoever is around listening and reading the stories too, they're also going to have a deeper understanding. Of course, I hope that they become inspired to learn more and change lives or just enhance lives for the better. So with all of that, Mickey, welcome to Student Success Beyond Expectations. Hi, Lisa. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Mickey, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I am a husband, father. I've got uh, two young children, four and seven. And before that, I was born to two deaf parents. Uh, my father since passed, but my mother's still around. And it took me 40 years and the loss of a parent to realize that I had a unique story to tell. Every time I would tell somebody I had deaf parents, they would they would have questions that were so unique. And But then they became the same questions from different people over time. And I realized lots of people wanted to know. And then I started seeing how deaf kids were able to do some extraordinary things. There's a list there, you know, a laundry list of successful athletes, successful artists, successful, um, uh, you know, actors, so on and so forth. So it, it was great to get the story out. And it's really an homage to both my parents to share this um, based off of real life events. What kind of feedback have you gotten from your books? Yeah. So the inclusivity factor mm -hmm. that allows for hearing children that may not be exposed to the deaf and hard of hearing community has been enormous. It allows each, each of the books that I write have discussion questions that are in the back there. It's important for the classroom teachers to be able to talk through the questions. It's important for parents and grandparents to read through it and use it as an opportunity to talk about inclusivity and making it so that the children ages three to nine is where it really the sweet spot is 
is they're able to understand that the only difference between them and the deaf child is that the deaf child cannot hear. Yes, and, and these books really are very engaging. And I know that you're also working on another program too, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So I've actually um, got a memoir slash leadership book that I'm rolling out first quarter of 2024, where I take the stories and lessons and share them with respect to leadership, life, and love. And those stories, I take a story, I share a lesson and how it applies. It is going to be a fantastic book to get out there and share. But ultimately, all of this wraps around the needed exposure for the deaf and hard hearing community. And just like you shared with me off air, actually, that children who are deaf are more likely to get bullied by two to three times the amount. That is correct, because contrary to popular belief, people believe that deaf people, deaf children, deaf adults are quiet. Mm -hmm. It's actually the furthest from the truth. They cannot hear themselves and how loud they really are. So what ends up happening is they make these noises and you know they're trying to verbalize that to younger children and to teenagers, it can be very, very, you know, it, it's one of those things that they get picked on for it, right? Because sure. they don't sound like everybody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and as we're talking about um, being inclusive too, can you think of a time, Mickey, when maybe you were out with your parents and people were looking at you in a way that they just, you know, didn't really understand what was going on? Yeah, so almost every single public spot, mainly restaurants mm -hmm. uh, and or um, shopping malls, where anywhere that my parents and I would have a lengthy conversation people would look and, and it's it's gotten better over time but I remember being more aware of it as I was younger now I don't even I just I have blinders on I don't even really see it we're just in our own world between my mother and I but it was very noticeable when I was younger right and when they see that a couple different paths they continue to stare they get busted for staring and quickly look away. Right. Uh, or the other avenue is, is they come over and very rarely they'll come over and say, oh, are you speaking sign language? And they'll, they'll ask if they could try. Right. Some folks have ah. tried, learned a little bit. And honestly, when that happens, my mother eats it up. She she enjoys that someone's coming to her world, just like you said earlier. Yes. Let's, let's get to the to the deaf community's world. Right. You know, and you just took us right where I wanted to be too, because I was going to ask you if anyone maybe, you know, we just, you know how we walk on the street and we say hi and we wave, or I was wondering if people would just, you know, kind of like wave also, or if they just shy away. Right. So one of the other unique things is I grew up in a, a small town, 800 people in my town, a graduating class of 34 uh, students. Wow. And in that town, everybody knew everybody. So I got a little bit of a mixed view from that perspective. Everybody would wave to my parents. My parents would wave to them. They knew who everybody was. You get into some of these bigger cities. And for example, my mom now lives in the area that I live and people don't really, they don't know who she is, right? So to them, she's being rude, right? Because if you walk by someone, you say, hi, or good morning. She doesn't reply unless you, unless you know who she is. So there's a little bit of that when you get in a new area and until people know 
that you're deaf for not, for example, the, the grocery store she goes to now, they've learned who she is and they've tried to communicate accordingly. So it takes time. It doesn't happen immediately. And so the next time I would ask that if, if you're passing by someone and they don't acknowledge you, it may not be because they're being rude. It may be because they can't hear you. Thank you for that. And, and listeners, did you hear what Mickey just said? Consider the fact that next time someone doesn't reciprocate a hello, maybe they sincerely did not hear you, right? So we need to think about these two and, and, and really uh, these characteristics and be sensitive to this as a need out there also. Can you think about a time when um, it just seems really hard to be a child of two deaf parents? Yeah, it, 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 it is, right? So there's, a, there's an old William Shakespeare's quote that is, it's misquoted. It says, you know, heavy is the head that wears the crown, right? Well, I often say heavy are the hands that bear the signs because starting at the age of four, I started to realize that communication was different in my household. You know, at the age of eight, I was calling and making doctor's appointments for my parents. Yeah. At the age of 12, I negotiated my first uh, car sale. I, we bought a car. It's for my parents, obviously. And what happens, a couple different things happen, is a, um, as a child, you do so much interpreting throughout that as a teenager, there's already some of that, you know, growing and emotions, you, you can become resentful sure. and you're not fully aware of the uniqueness you have because all you feel like you're doing is adult stuff and you just want to be a child. Yeah. But then there's the other avenue where folks have been able to turn that into a career, right? I was one of those ones, candidly, that got burnt out. I was the oldest child. Um, I was the, the male and it, you know, in my household, you know, it, that carried a lot of weight. So I, by the time I got to college, I went away to, you know, get a, get a wider view, right. Yeah. On, on life, come back as an adult, I realized how unique I had it. Right. But, mm -hmm. you know, so there's a lot of codas that went down the interpreting route. Some have not. However, I look back and say, now's my opportunity to advocate. Yeah, well, everybody goes through that learning process too, you know. And honestly, I was thinking that I, you know, being so responsible so quickly in life, you know, yeah, I was, I was wondering about that childhood piece, you know, yeah. what that's like. It is, yeah. So, many... yeah. So one of the things that I also relate it to is being a chameleon. That's the analogy I have best, right? So. If you were standing and I say, let's just say I was eight years old and you were standing there um, as my parent, as my mother, and I'd be playing with all my friends over on the playground. You're just standing there. And then here comes another adult that you didn't know talks, starts talking to you, tries to talk to you. I would have to shed my kid's skin, go over to that adult conversation wow. and interpret right? Yeah. So when you become very agile and very, you know, nimble to being able to wear different hats. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's where I learned it because I would have to talk like an adult quickly. And then I can go back and play with my friends, right? Wow. I'd, be able, I'd have to balance them. So did you ever take friends home? Oh, yeah. It, it, the house was with how small our community was, the house was uh, littered with friends back and forth. And did they learn any sign language to communicate with your parents? 
uh, no, they they would know um, unique signs or they, they'd have a little fun, you know, talking with, they knew how to get in point and do a few things, but ASL, American Sign Language proper, they didn't truly know. Yeah. The folks that did know were my cousins that grew up with me. Roughly, they were a few years younger than I did. I now they've grown into adults and they've they've kept it, which has been very conducive for their relationship with my mother. Now being able to communicate sure. in sign language to her. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Now you said you have children of your own. I do. Was, was there any thoughts that they might not have their hearing? So there was, right? You know, there was, but there wasn't any fear, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when we looked at it, we 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 had this idea of we've seen what that community is like. We understand, I understand it more than many on how to navigate it. So I wasn't, you know, sure. We, we had some trials, tribulations to figure out the path. Um, but the reality was, is we weren't overly fearful. Now, did we do some genetic testing leading into it? Surely we did, right? Just to understand what it looked like. But I wouldn't, there wasn't a fear in, in my, yeah. my body. And that's why I said any thoughts, you know, because I think that you've, you really become aware and competent and kind of like you're saying, just appreciate the greatness of something that's not as popular, you know? And that's kind of where we're at together right now is to really encourage people to learn more, understand more. Hey, you know, are there any books um, for older, you know, adults just to learn about deafness that you, you have off the top of your head? Right. So I, I wouldn't say um, from the perspective of pure deafness, there's plenty of them out there, but mm-hmm. they're, they're along the lines of um, the ones that are very academic. Yes. They're difficult to read and they're academic. You're, you may be better off reading them and reading off of a Google search or what have you. But I will tell you some of the more uh, indicative books that are written by CODAs out there, such as um, you've got Burn Down the Ground. It's a memoir by Cambry Cruz. That's that's my favorite CODA book up until mine gets published, but I'll give Cambry the lead right now. Um, there's, there's also A Loss for Words, words um, which was uh, written very early on um by one of the early um uh, Luann Walker early coda authors um there's also the mother father deaf uh, and that was written by Paul Preston um the hands of my father is Myron Alberg those are the four that are sit on my shelf right there ah. but then the other one that gives you it's a fiction book but it is the hottest deaf related fiction book out there right now is called True Biz by Sarah Novick it's a, um, it talks about how kids navigate deaf school and being in between both worlds. I've, I've gotten to know Sarah over, over recent time, he, you know, huge advocate for the community. Um, just about everybody in there will, will run through a wall for the deaf community. You see how many books you just rambled off? And mm-hmm. I'm wondering how many, how many of us have no idea that they were even out there. I feel like there's so much work that's been done and we just need to catch up. And talking about that and really educating ourselves, talk to us about what it's like in the workplace and some improvements that we need to make. Yeah, so we we talk a lot about DE&I, diversity, equity, inclusion in corporate America. And you know, my, my, my day job, I've been in the same company for 23 years in leadership. 
we're big on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Well, what's missing for the deaf and hard of hearing community, and that's overlooked, is A, for access or accessibility. It's great that we are often including them, but the true inclusion will never happen unless we adopt the A for accessibility. Because if we don't have access and the right access, live interpreters is preferred, you know, open captioning, uh, you name it. Those are a couple of the, the, the low-hanging fruit. But if we don't right. provide that, we're truly not being inclusive to the community. Mm -hmm. So is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you think our listeners need to know? Yeah, so one of the latest um, topics out there right now is American Sign Language. Mm -hmm. What you see, and, and I send the board of Deaf and Hard of Hearing Services in West Michigan, a nonprofit that services 27 counties in Michigan. There's two or three agencies, two main, two main agencies that split the state. There is called Deaf Can in Metro Detroit, Deaf and Hard of Hearing uh, Services in West Michigan. And then there's a smaller pocket uh, called Hands and Voices. Hands and Voices is in every state. Um, however, those are the, they serve the community. And what we invariably see every single time there is a deaf person on Dancing with the Stars, right? There's Niall DeMarco. He was on it a few years ago. Uh, Daniel Durant was just on it. Every single time there is big exposure to a deaf person or a movie or a TV show. ASL classes, American Sign Language classes by these agencies skyrocket. Mm -hmm. the, the desire to take this course because if you've ever watched a, a national anthem being interpreted when it's done correctly the beauty that it portrays is phenomenal so when we talk about the language we offer spanish we offer um, german we offer uh you know what french every every foreign language at some of these bigger schools very rarely do we offer American Sign Language. And that, if you think about it, down the road, by 2025, half of our population is projected to have some kind of hearing loss. And so when you, 90%, and I'm throwing a lot of data out here, but 90% of deaf children are born to hearing parents. And the first thing that happens if they don't have exposure to the community is they panic a little bit, right? And if they don't get access to the right guidance, they can make some life-altering decisions, right? But that's every parent's prerogative and choice. But the biggest piece of advice I'd like to lend, having grown up in the community, is teach the children American Sign Language. Mm -hmm. Because you have the ability versus where my parents were when they were younger. You have the ability now to put in a cochlear implant. And that does help a lot of, a lot of children. But what ends up happening is you, invariably, there'll be situations where they take that cochlear implant off. They take that thing off, they're not gonna be able to hear. Mm -hmm. How are they gonna communicate? Let's just say something else goes sideways with their health down the road and it becomes ineffective. Mm -hmm. How are they gonna communicate? The foundational communication for the deaf community is sign language. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get on, you know, a further soapbox because again, the, it's the parent's right to make those decisions. But 
when I get an opportunity to share it, I would encourage everybody to do so. And what you're talking about too is early intervention, really, and, and having the resources to go to and really preparing our pediatricians too with yes. that information and then knowing which schools uh, they, they could go to. Now, I mean, in the special needs um, area is, is really my umbrella, my, my sweet spot too. It's um, really a lot of language delayed children. And I still think we need to empower our educators with sign language. And it's not because, let's say, these children are going to be hard of hearing or deaf, but because, like you said, the beauty of it, it's beautiful because you're involving the entire body kinesthetically, maybe, you know, the soft ways that some of the words are. And this is also very visual and it's and it's working with another side of the brain that children need to pair language, auditory language, along with their visual language. It's it's very powerful. It is right, and you, you mentioned something about the pediatricians earlier, right? Yes. And, you know, medical care—they uh, do great work, right? We've got great health care here in the United States, but the thing is, is there are still some providers that believe that they can fix deafness. Mm -hmm. It's not something that needs to necessarily be fixed. It needs to be embraced by yes, the hearing. Yes. 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 So. Yes. Embraced. Yes. And that's what we're saying, like with all these disabilities, there's so many wonderful things that come out of it. So do we see it as a deficit or do we see it as a gift? Do we really, it really will put you to the test. Same thing with ADHD, right? We'll put them on medication. We've got this. But what happens when you have medication? It's working. But the summer comes and you don't want your child to be on medication or the school day's over so you don't give them the second dose. In my opinion, it is not fair to prepare the child without the skills in how to address and engage in the skills that they need to be, feel successful and do the things that they want to do. And I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah, and we have to set them up for success and we have to understand what is driving some of that behavior? A couple of things when you're talking about uh, deaf children, hard of hearing children, right? They spend, especially folks that are uh, children that are undiagnosed properly or, or underdiagnosed, they spend so much time, or not time, but so much energy trying to listen mm. because it's harder for them to listen that they are spent by the end of the day. And because they're spent, their behavior mm -hmm. becomes not acceptable. And we see behavioral problems get adjusted and right size. Maybe someone, a child's hard of hearing, but hearing aid in them, or we help them with that perspective. Overnight, you'll see behavior because they're not so fatigued from trying mm -hmm. to listen, mm -hmm. right? So that's one thing. Um, and I, I, I do believe it is, you know, and if another, say a child talks loudly, right? That is a, that is sometimes a underlying symptom of a child not being able to hear properly. So it's being aware of, you know, your child better than anyone. And off of that, if you believe something isn't, isn't right, you should go and get evaluated and then decide and do your due diligence based off of that explore this area too. So a way that you can do that is 
two ways, as far as I know, and you tell me if you know more, and it could be you go to an outside audiologist. It could be that you request in writing to your school district to say, I want my child evaluated for their hearing, um, right? Yeah, so there's that. And I would always, always encourage that you go through that um, that evaluation with the audiologist mm -hmm. or the, the hearing evaluation. Based off of that feedback, do not make a decision solely off of that feedback. I would Google search your local agencies. You can Google search national agencies. And the nice thing that I've decided to do in the, in the book later this uh, next year is I'm going to put in the back resources, national resources, right. state, state and local resources. That is where you, you get those results. You get that um, feedback from the doctor. You go to one of those agencies because they've walked it before. They've navigated everything before. They've navigated you know, what it's gonna cost you. They've navigated the potential impact. They've navigated the school system, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So all of that advocacy is at those agencies. So that's, I would leave the doctor's office and I would find out where to go before I made any type of technological or surgical decisions with my children. You really, really want to be informed. So important. And that's really what it, what it's all about. So you did mention something about um, being undiagnosed and maybe uh, the child speaking at a volume that is not really socially appropriate at that time. Are there any other ways that we can see um, that maybe a hearing is a little bit delayed or, you know, deficit here? Yeah. So the volume piece. Mm -hmm. um, a speech delay, right? If if they're not if they're not keeping pace with the clarity of their speech, mm -hmm. that's a potential. I mean, there's other you know other underlying factors that could drive that, but that's one area. Another area that doesn't seem necessarily so obvious, but children will they'll turn their head. They're going to mm -hmm. turn their dominant. They're going to turn their dominant ear to you mm -hmm. if they're trying to hear you. It's it. And they make it very subtle, right? You, unless you're paying attention and looking for it, you're not going to notice it. But as soon as it's just like, the, as soon as you see it, you're going to see it every single time they do it. Mm -hmm. But it's that first time recognizing that that's, that's the case. Those are a couple extra, um, you know, uh, awareness pieces that you can watch out for. You can hear that Mickey Carolyn has so much to offer the hearing world. And of course, the deaf world. So I really do encourage you to check out his children's books. I want you to check out his series, Deaf Kids Can, and his new program that's coming out. Where do people reach you? How do they follow you? Tell us about you. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not hard to find, right? I think uh, a famous football player or football coach just coined that term here recently. Not hard to find. MickeyCarolyn.com, M-I-C-K-E-Y, like the mouse. C-A-R-O-L-A-N.com. That's the landing page for uh, the books that I write, as well as contacting me for speaking engagements. Um, like I said, the, where I come in is I'm able to share the stories and lessons about leadership, life, and love with your audience, whatever it may be. I can apply plenty of stories we've just talked about a lot of them today but that's where you can find my website you can find me on social linkedin is my biggest platform that i'm on 
again, MickeyCarolyn.com. Mickey, thank you so much for joining us, really educating us today. And uh, stay inspired and resourceful because we all need you. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Lisa. Remember to like, share, and subscribe this episode. Thank you for listening to the Student Success Beyond Expectations podcast, where school leaders, educators, and parents meet on behalf of children who struggle with learning. To bring workshops to your school or organization, contact Child Behavior Consulting and get started with resources available at childbehaviorconsulting.com, Amazon, and teacherspayteachers.com for ready-to-use resources and children's books. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember to review, subscribe, share, and give us a shout-out on social media.